0: We're going to reference, I'm going to reference James uh, 5 as we spend time in, in God's word this morning. But I want to talk a little bit more about a lot of different things all around this whole issue of prayer and invite you into it. And here's how I'd like to start with it. Um, could you calculate, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to shame, I'm not going to call you out, I'm not going to ask you for your number. I just want you to think in your head. How many minutes did you spend yesterday praying? And you get, to, you get credit for praying before a meal. When I was a kid, you know, we, I got a lot of credit for praying for, before a meal when my mom would pray. You know, we kind of had this meter where 30 seconds was about as long as a prayer was supposed to last because supper or breakfast would get cold. And then my mom would pray and it was kind of like we would just all look at each other as siblings like, Oh no, it's going to be forever. So if there's somebody in your life that prays that, you get credit for that, but what, what, what would it be? And think about today, how much time will you spend in prayer? Uh, and you say, well, it's the weekend, so maybe you want to pull out Monday and ask the question, what will Monday look like? And then, then take it a little bit further and figure out why. Whatever that is, and however you feel about it, why? What's going on in your life or in your head that that number is that number? If you're average, I don't know how they gather these statistics, but they say that people, I think the latest survey I saw, pray about, Christians pray about an average of a minute a day. So I imagine we're in a room filled with above-average people in here. But I mean, even then, even if you multiply that times 10... Um, what does it mean? And, and not just so, well, let's all just feel really bad about ourselves right now. Because you talk about prayer and we always feel bad about ourselves, right? You can talk about people in ministry and we talk about prayer and you feel bad about you. But what's going on? What is it in our lives that causes us to say to ourselves and to others, oh, I wish I prayed more. You know, it can be a variety of things. It's so easy to fall off the plate because, well, there's so many urgent things going on in my life. And, and when urgency reaches this point, I pray, but my prayers are all prayers of urgency. And once the urgency is passed, I get on with the other things. Or perhaps it's because I barely have time to talk to all of my friends. Do you know how far behind I am in communicating with my friends? And now you want to add this to my plate? Or perhaps, you know, it just doesn't seem to work for me. I don't know what it is, but, but there are those reasons for it. You know, you think about the Royals. And uh, I think there was that article in the, in the front of the sports page yesterday. It was kind of a continuation. It was Gomes' speech about we don't have an MVP. Well, now we don't have an MVP that played on the team, and the team still won. I mean, all of these things that the Royals didn't have... But you hear stories about what happened, and they had a hitting coach, Dale Swain. He actually played for the Brewers when I was in Milwaukee, and he a hitting coach, and he would, he would go after these players' swing. And early on, there was a push against it. You know, I swung the bat like that since I was this big. You're not going to tell me something different. And yet, people bought in because they apparently thought Dale had some credibility. And then you say, you know, all of what's happened with the Royals, you know, much of it can be traced back to a choice to do something completely different in regards to their swing. If if someone came up to you and said, and you played for the Royals, I want to change the way you approach your swing, would you do it? If God came up to you and said to you, I want you to change the way you approach prayer, would you do it? I believe God is saying that to you this morning because you're in this room and we're in this text. Yeah, think about that, that God is actually saying to you and to me, I want you to change the way you approach prayer. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would do that. There would be an invitation in what we talk about here this morning that would actually change the trajectory of the way we live out our life. So Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak um, to us through your word and that actually we would invite into this moment today, uh, giving you permission to alter our life, the minutes of our day, The focus of our thinking substantially from this point forward. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here's what I want to do. I want to just take some time and I want to tell you why I pray. Uh, And so it's a little personal, uh, but I think that it may have benefit. The first reason I pray is because God tells me to. I'm on that list actually. He says that elders are supposed to pray. And the word elders is used interchangeably. The New Testament writers use elders, bishops, pastors, all interchangeably. And so there it is. I've got a job to do. I've actually been told I should pray, that it's a part of what I do. And actually the word elder uh, was taken from the synagogues where they were in positions of leadership and transferred to the church where it is a reference to people who are spiritual leaders. Uh, Someone actually who writes a lot on this says the word for elders is spiritual parents. The people in the life of a congregation who have spiritual maturity and are put in positions of leadership. And it's not just a designation made because a church constitution uses the term. It applies to those in the congregation with spiritual maturity, the test of time and the challenges that have come with it and the ability to be able to discern and decipher things. And leadership positions to be able to give voice to it. So we have many elders in our church family. People who are spiritually mature and are in positions of influence and leadership. Uh, They lead teams. They disciple groups. Uh, They're there and they speak into those things. Are there any leaders in this room? If that's the case, then you've been instructed to pray as well. You know, I just heard Ned Yost got a phone call right after the, uh, the Royals won, and it was well, caller unknown, and he picked it up, and it was from the President of the United States. But did you see what he was saying? The phone number said caller unknown. It's kind of like the President of the United States says, I'll call you when I want to, don't call back. You know, he's a big deal, and, and he's not giving out his number. And God is a bigger deal, and he's actually saying, call me back. God gives you his cell phone number, and he's saying, I want to talk, and I'm available. And I pray because actually I'm on his list of people he wants to hear from. Well, you look further in the text, and you realize there are other people on the list Besides the spiritual leaders, they're actually groups of people. If you're in a group of other people that are followers of Jesus, he wants you to pray. You actually see that in verse 16. It says you gather together and you hear from one another and have humble conversations with each other and you confess to one another, you support one another, and then you pray. If you're in that group, if you're in a group like that, then then pray God actually calls you to pray if you're in a group of people that are trying to follow Jesus. Don't just do it, have conversations with each other. Stop everything and pray. And you go on a little bit further and you see, well, in verse 16, in verse 13 it actually says, well, he actually tells all of us to pray. Do you see what it says? Is anyone among you in trouble? Is anyone in, among you in trouble? Is anybody in trouble right now? Pray. You don't have to be an elder. You don't have to be in a group. All you have to be is in trouble. And, and he's called you to pray. You. I can't tell you how many times people have come to me and when they find out I'm a pastor, they say, oh, would you please pray for something? And I say to them, you know what? It doesn't matter. Uh, he, he actually wants to and, and instructs everyone to pray and he is attentive to everyone who calls on his name. So I pray, I pray because God tells me to do. And um, he tells all of us to. Whether we think it's going to work or not, in fact, you might even say, yeah, I pray, I would pray more if God actually told me to, if, God, if, if it actually worked, but it doesn't work. And I would say to you, you know, you don't do things just simply because they make sense. You sat in front of the TV yesterday, didn't you? And you watched that K-State player go 100 yards for a touchdown, and, and you were right there screaming and yelling, right? Why? At the TV set. Did it do anything for them? No. You know, when that, when, that, when, that, uh, when that ball was hit by the Royals, did you find yourself in front of the TV set just going like this, trying to make sure that it stayed in bounds? And what was that all about? We do all sorts of crazy things. Uh, don't think you're so sophisticated that I only do it if it's effective. Now, that's not the reason here, but I mean, think about it. God actually tells us to pray, and he calls us to do it simply because he calls us to do it. It doesn't make any difference. If the God of the universe tells me to pray, my responsibility as a child of the Lord is is to invest in prayer. And so that's one of the investments we make because God tells us to. And then there's a second aspect of this. I pray because I'm one of those on the list of people that need help. I do. In fact, he mentions what the list is of people who need help. There's the first person there. That's the person who's in trouble. If anybody is in trouble, in times of trouble, he draws near. And the word trouble here it has to do with generic suffering or bad experiences or to suffer misfortune. It's not generally used of illness. He's coming to that in a little bit. But it's just talking about hardship or difficulty. This word's been used several places, other places in God's word. Jeremiah was in trouble and he was suffering opposition. That's what the word was. And Any of you feeling anybody uh, opposed to you or you're suffering opposition from any quarter well God invites you to pray you're one of those that needs help Uh, Hosea marriage broke down he was in trouble because of it anybody struggling with a marriage that's in difficulty right now or any other relationship that's breaking down he's inviting you to pray you're in trouble ask him for help Ezekiel was dealing with bereavement grief loss anybody feeling that way I can actually even add to the list. It happened for me in, the, in this past year. I mentioned a little bit about this in the last couple of weeks and, 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 and last week. But I just have to say, I was in trouble uh, six, nine months ago, maybe maybe a year ago. I just didn't know what my calling was at Hillcrest. Been here 13 years, uh, rounding the corner till 14 years now, I think, if I'm counting right on it. And I had been invited to consider uh, 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 several different positions that undid me more than I expected uh, about about nine months ago. And um, what it did for me was, I thought, well, this is a win-win. I I love being a pastor at Hillcrest, and that looks like this looks like a really great um, invitation and opportunity, and I would like to consider. And it was a win-win. And I, little did I realize that in the whole process of it, it just kind of Shook me and took my moorings away and just felt like I was just floundering. Last April, I was a mess. Um, One of those invitations I pursued and I felt like I should pursue strongly, and the door was closed to it, and I found myself really mad at God, really uncertain of how He would lead, and really. Um, grieving that I had in that whole process of leaning towards a new calling um, I had lost my sense of calling to Hillcrest I didn't I completely. I was, it was completely unexpected to me that that would happen, I just thought well I'll either get a yes or a no and, it, it, and either one of them would be a wins and I got a no to that particular invitation and I was lost and it was hard for me It was hard for our church staff, Um, and I think it was probably hard, you know, you you could sense it, I've heard, I've heard that, I know that, I believe that. And I just had to take some time away, and uh, I'm so grateful for a church family that gave me that, and leaders that said, Mark, and I said, I don't even know if I'm coming back, I just don't even know, Uh, and they said, that's okay. Um, you matter and the church matters and this is an important step to take I would just say what a courageous step of the leaders in the church and what a gracious step of so many of you that just prayed for me and prayed for us and prayed for our staff during, during that time what a wonderful church family but I was gone and I was just I don't know if I'm coming back I just don't even know and there were Battles of where could I be most fruitful and not feeling as fruitful as I longed to be. And and um, I was sitting, um, this was just, it was just, you know, it seems crazy to go away and what might be described even as vacation and describe it as hard work, but it was just really, really hard. Day after day, just asking God, what in the world is going on? And God would intersect me with different conversations with people and things in God's word, and I was sitting by a park, I was sitting on a park bench by a lake just outside of Chicago, and it was the first part of July, and and in the middle of the turmoil of it, it just became clear. I mean, it was just like God just said, you know why this is so hard? It's because I I want you at Hillcrest and frankly, that was no longer even an option for me, and um, and I thought, wow. That's it. The reason why this is so hard is because I've, I've. Um, God's gonna give me a new call. And um, it was it was uh, one of those standout moments, where I felt like uh, God answered me by showing me how hard it was and show me how difficult it was to consider anything else and then I said, okay God, if that's true then I need a sense of call uh, I, I have to I have to know why and what uh, my ministry life should be about and I got in a car uh, days later and drove back I-80 and I-35 and Had eight hours with the Lord on the road. And um, wonderful time of uh, increased clarity for me. And uh, just even hearing reports of what was going on at Hillcrest and what God was doing um, directionally with staff and new staff and and lay leaders and in my heart. And it was like this wonderful gift that God had given me Not because it was a promise of fruitfulness, but because it just seemed like it was what faithfulness was. And that's what God was calling me to. I was in trouble. um, And um, God showed up. uh, And not immediately. And God says, we need Him. Any of you in trouble? I'm, I'm not saying it happens overnight, but it is really what God does. When there's no other, there's no other uh, logical path forward, God gives us the ability to discern what is best. And it's hard work. And that's what God calls us to. I pray because God tells me to. And I also pray because I need it. Uh, and I'm imagining there are so many of us at different times in our life where we need it. God, what do I say? How do I show love? How do I know what direction my life is going to take? And God doesn't want us aimless. Uh, he wants us called. He wants us clear. And he wants us effective. And then there's another part of why we pray here. And that is, I pray because I need help with my abundance isn't this interesting that he says if you're in trouble you should pray and if you're happy the word here means lighthearted and buoyant and it's not a superficial happiness it's just a sense of really great joy life is really really fun right now and he says when you're in that point your life is buoyant and happy you should pray then too do you know why because happiness, disconnected from where it came from, can be dangerous. He says, pray prayers of praise, and a prayer of praise is a prayer of gratitude. You see, gladness should be accompanied by gratitude, so I know where it, how it fits together. Uh, I'm not just glad, happy, buoyant, God wants me to be filled with gratitude and praise, and There's a wonderful discipline in praise as it redirects me. Gladness actually can be as dangerous as trouble if it's not connected with the person in my life that is taking care of me. So I pray because I want to be characterized not just by gladness, but I want to be characterized by gratitude as well. Gladness can lead, simple gladness can lead to complacency, it can lead to laziness. It can lead to overconfidence. It can lead to being self-absorbed, and I might not even know how much trouble I'm in. But God calls me to that. The troubled person is not only is not the only one who is in a vulnerable position. And then there's a third aspect of needing help, and it's a reference to, I need help with Satan. James talks about Satan quite a bit. We've mentioned that. We've seen that a couple of times in chapter four, verse seven. He references Satan right here. And here he talks about this battle with sin, with a need to confess, and with illness. Sometimes illness is a result of sinfulness. Not always. Not saying that. If If you're ill, it's not necessarily because you've sinned. It's because you just live in a world where people get colds and have cancer. But there is a component of our life where Satan does battle in our lives and tries to harm and ruin our life. He, he just intends to be able to do that. And so you see, even in the context of this prayer, it's the context of Satan trying to get the upper hand in people's lives, his, his schemes and our desires. I pray because I need help. John Calvin said this, there is no time in which God does not invite us to himself. Uh, whether we're in trouble, whether we're leading a life of abundance and it's filled with gladness, or if we're in an all-out battle with the evil one, God calls us to pray. And then there's a third aspect of the reason why I pray. And I pray because it actually causes my compassion to grow. When I pray, it's a discipline. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. A spiritual discipline basically does this. It creates character in me that can't be created directly. We're going to talk about spiritual disciplines in a course for those of you that can be part of it on Wednesday nights in January. But it's a tool that God uses to create in us what can't be done by direct effort. And prayer is a spiritual discipline. When I pray for people, I become compassionate for them. When I pray, I pray because there are needs and I bring them before the Lord. And it grows in me compassion. And alongside of Christian prayer, Scripture says, Jesus says, and James says here, alongside of prayer there should be compassion for people. Actual acts of compassion. There's a reference here to oil. And there are two other places in the New Testament where oil is used. There's this prayer, one right here where people are anointed with oil, and then they're prayed for. And it's the prayer that makes them well. But oil's in this context for some particular reason, and scholars have looked at it to try to figure it out. And frankly, there's still uncertainty about it. But there are a couple possibilities for it, and they go back to the reference points to the use of oil even in the New Testament. And the first I refer to is the story, the parable that Jesus tells of the Samaritan. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan in, in the Gospel of Luke? Where the Good Samaritan comes along and he finds this person who's just been beaten up by robbers. And the Samaritan actually treats him with oil and washes his wounds out with wine. And oil was the, one of the best medicines of the day. And so the Samaritan used the best medicines of the day to help this person to be well. So it's possible that God is saying here that if somebody is sick or hurting or wounded, use the best medicines of the day. We don't really know if that's clearly what James is saying here, but boy, there's nothing wrong with that, and it's pretty consistent with other things that God says too. He says that um, you don't just pray for a person and go be well, and and you don't care about helping them to get well. He actually says if you're going to pray for, if you're going to care about someone, you're actually going to do acts of kindness and acts of mercy. And he rebukes the Pharisee who stands up and he says, I thank God that I'm not like that other person, and completely disconnected from them. So there's a possibility that there's a reference here to care for them in specific physical ways, and it's not inconsistent with the character of God and the teaching of the Bible. But there's also a possibility here, the likelihood here, that the oil is a reference to something that God is doing spiritually alongside of the care for them as well. Because there's a power in anointing with oil that we see when we go all the way even back to the Old Testament. And we see people anointed with oil that is this, this, this um, statement about God is with you. People are anointed and commissioned and protected. God is with you. God is in your life. And it's not just because this oil is going to help your face feel better. It's because this is a reminder of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that God is with you and God cares about your life. And to anoint a person with oil is to make a statement about their identity and their calling and God's presence in their life. And alongside those acts of compassion, whether they're f- practical and physical or whether they're spiritual and critical about a person's identity, alongside of those things, we pray as well. And when we pray, God acts. And I want to get to that next. But I, I pray because alongside of Christian prayer, it's not this flippant prayer for a person. It's actually an invitation to engage in their life in some practical meaningful way and then the last reason I pray it's because God responds the reference here is to the prayer of a person who is righteous and there are two aspects of righteousness that we know here one is a just desire to live a life consecrated to God and 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 God teaches you, teaches this and it is undeniable God listens to all prayers but God God particularly works through the prayers of people who have said, I want my life to be fully consecrated to God. I don't want any quarter of my life that is mine and not his. I don't want a dark closet in my life that nobody gets to go in or nobody gets to see. I want it all to be his. I want to be wholly and fully his. His. And I want to say, God, when you show me something in my life that is out of sync with who you are, would you please tell me the truth about that? Would you please rebuke me? Would you please call me to righteousness? This is the way God works. If we say to him, nothing, Lord. I consecrate my life wholly and completely to you. It doesn't mean I'm now perfect but it means I live with an attitude of walking forward with consecration to God. And God works through that. And then there's another aspect of righteousness, and it means to be joining God alongside of the things that bring glory to him. So this prayer that God responds to is a prayer that, um, that, that builds righteousness in my life and, and creates righteousness in the world. around me. Two pieces of this. One is prayer builds in our life in my life, patience. Uh, prayer isn't my genie in the bottle that when I'm in trouble, boom, it's over just like that. Prayer actually accompanies patience and perseverance. I want you to just look at this. I know I'm going long here. If I can just keep you focused on this for, for, for just a, a bit longer. There's a sequence, actually, there are bookends in this book on perseverance and on, and on prayer. There's a sequence and a connection to this. In chapter 1, we were there. In verses 3 and 4, it talks about patience and perseverance. You get to, chapter, uh, to verse 5, and it talks about prayer. They're linked together. Patience and perseverance and prayer for God's wisdom. You get to the end of this book, and we talk about patience and uh, perseverance again. Chapter 5, we talked about this last week. Verses 7 through 12, patience, waiting, steadfastness. Do you know what comes next? Prayer. In fact, in verses 7 through 12, there are seven references to patience or waiting and steadfastness. In verses 13 through 18, there are seven references to prayer. I don't know if that's a big deal or not, but there is a sense of steadfastness and prayer go hand in hand with each other. It's not a genie in the bottle. It's the presence of God strengthening my life because we know that perseverance does its work. How does perseverance work? When I pray. Pray doesn't remove the need for patience. Patience, perseverance does its work and prayer works too. It shapes the character of my life. It corrects the distortions that come along the way. The positive way forward in situations demanding endurance is the way of prayer. When I'm in trouble, God calls me to pray because he will create in me what I need to be characterized by who he is. Jesus did this as well. Jesus was in trouble, Luke 22. He prayed that the cup would be taken from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. In an agony, Jesus prays more earnestly even. The prayer doesn't remove the affliction or the path forward, but it sure transforms it. And that's what God does through prayer. And prayer also brings God glory, and that's how he responds. He will respond by doing things that bring his glory. He will heal. He will heal. I think that the reason why James calls elders together is because they have the discernment, the spiritual discernment to figure out what's going on here. What does God want to do in this situation? We know the story of Paul. The same word for trouble that we see in the book of James. Paul and says I have this I have this suffering and it's a thorn in the flesh. And what I discovered in the midst of this thorn in my flesh is that God wasn't going to heal me from it, but rather he would use the weakness to allow his power to be evident in me. Sometimes I need a spiritually discerning person to say to me, you know what, I don't think God's going to take this one away. I actually think he's going to use it. And an elder, a spiritually wise person can help me to navigate my way through it patiently. Or an elder might say, you know what, I think there's something going on in your life right now that's incongruent with what the character of God is, and it's sin, and God wants to work on that. And an elder, a parent, can do that with gentleness and with truthfulness. Or an elder can say, you know what, I believe God wants to bring healing here, and there's an unction in a prayer of faith That God invites us to pray because He actually wants to gain glory by changing a person's physical status. And we've seen this around here. We've seen a young woman get her hearing back. We've seen someone who everyone in the hospital said, heart's gone, broken, cannot be repaired, get ready for the funeral. Actually, eight years later, still walking around and ministering to people in this place. We've seen minds that were so broken and so confused, we never thought they'd be able to think clearly again, come back from a car accident and praise God for what's going on. And in every one of those situations, any medical person said, there's no way that this is going to change. And yet God does those things for his glory. God does do this. God does do this, not all the time, but he does. I remember going to China about 12, 13 years ago, sitting in a room with a bunch of Chinese leaders, and they were telling their stories in a country where the gospel was so hard to find, telling their stories of coming to faith, and went around the room, and I heard one story after another of a person being dramatically healed, and they told these stories, and I was just dumbfounded. And they are looking at each other, nodding their heads, like, yep, sounds like my story one after another. To go to other places in the world. You know, there's a denomination whose theology says God doesn't heal anymore and then they sent missionaries all over the world and they came back with stories and they say, God does. And what are we going to do with this story now? (laughs) See, it's true. And it's a very humble thing to say to God. Whatever you want to do, for your name to be glorified, I'm all in. But it's also a wise thing to say. And God, if you want to do something that I'll have a real hard time explaining, I'm all in on that too. See, we don't pray because God will, we pray because He can. We pray because He can. He can. And the world is transformed by people who live in that and recalculate minutes of days and focus of heart. And so here's what my goal this morning was for this not to be all about me and my story, but I wanted to share part of that. And the other goal was for me not to explain away all the reasons why God doesn't answer prayers, because I grew up in that. Don't expect too much. And I want us to be a church where we say, I'm expecting anything that will bring glory to his name. Anything. Because he does it. And so we've got a week coming up after Thanksgiving where we get to live in expectancy and listening to God and asking for his help. And asking that he would rain down his glory in our lives. And in our church. And in our world. Because he works through prayer. So would you pray with me? God, we, we work. Be, and um, and uh, we accomplish things. And then we pray. And you accomplish things. I pray, God, that you would just change our posture. Uh, when we go to bed tonight, get up in the morning, when we walk into the world you have in front of us, that we would be those who pray because you can and because you love and because you will be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.